You are listening to You Are Not Broken, a podcast that I've put together uh, since 2020, looking at female sexual function, relationships, uh, anatomy, physiology, all stemming from my job as a full-time urologist. But we are at an interesting time in 2020. I saw a, I saw a meme. Uh, <laughs> I'm super into COVID memes right now because I think it's a, a good way to try to have a laugh occasionally. So I saw this meme and it said, I've done my free 90-day trial of 2020 and I'd like a return. <laughs> so COVID is here. Um, what that means as a urologist is we are uh, not doing elective surgeries. I just canceled an entire day of um, bladder incontinence work. And there's going to be a lot of um, just, you know, bum people, but they're very understanding. But in this time where we're really rationing uh, protective equipment and masks and gloves and gowns, um, there's really not a lot of a surgery that's going on if it can't wait, um, kind of wait this out. So that's the downside. The upside is I have a lot more time to work on this podcast. So I'm uh, presenting today the first uh, half of an interview I did with Tracy Reinstra, who is a sex therapist in my town, and I just think she's lovely and so smart and so thoughtful, and I think we kind of bounce and play off each other pretty well here. So this is the first half of our uh, interview, and we're going to talk about um, anatomy and is it normal, um, genital care, what is the vulva, uh, care and cleaning of the foreskin for those penis-bearing uh, individuals, um, talking about premature ejaculation and how to work in a relationship when erectile dysfunction is a problem, um, and then talking about realistic expectations and also side effects of some medications. So all of that in this first podcast, it's going to be about 25 minutes long, and then the next one I'll post will be the second half of our interview. So come visit us on Facebook at You Are Not Broken. Send me a personal message um, or, or post it public if you don't mind on your questions and your thoughts. And this is the mixed blessing of COVID in some quiet time here. I get to be part, play with the creative side of my brain and do some podcast stuff. So I love you guys. I'm doing this for you. I love all the feedback, the, the reviews you're leaving on Apple iTunes. They're amazing. They just totally fuel my brain for why I'm doing this and fills my heart up. So thank you so much for taking the extra time out of your day to leave reviews. It really helps other people realize kind of what the point of this whole thing is and what they're going to get out of this podcast. So thank you for doing that. All right, here's me and Tracy. Enjoy. So I'm Dr. Casperson, and I'm here with Tracy Reinstra, and we were fortunate enough to have a hour and a half long conversation, a sex talk panel at our local university, and even within an hour and a half, we didn't have most of the questions even asked or answered. So we thought we'd meet together again to go through some of the other questions that we had to kind of touch on things that we didn't get then, and hopefully people will find this enjoyable. So thank you so much for coming. I'm so happy to be here. Okay, you want to ask the first question? Okay, tips for having a healthy relationship with one's own genitals. Oh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. um, I would say it's listening to you, so don't say bad words to it, and don't say kind of shameful things to it. It's listening to you, and I think the way that you acknowledge your body 
um, is really important in the way that your body responds and, and takes care of you. So that would be my first step is, is pay attention to, to how you're caring for that body part. Mm, I love that. I think too about, um, I think the genitals in particular are a part of the body that sometimes people feel belong to someone else or are for someone else. And so in that similar way of talking to them in a, in a kind and positive way, I think really connecting with them as, as a part of your own body that belongs to you and, um, being familiar with them and, uh, understanding what, what feels good and exploring that and, and just really feeling like this, uh, these parts don't exist for someone else's pleasure, but can be a source of pleasure for you. Nice. And I think to add to that, if the only time you play with your genitals is with somebody else, you can't expect them to know how they work if you don't know how they work. <laughs> and so if you want to have a good relationship with knowing how your genitals bring you pleasure, uh, play with that and find that out before you bring another person into that relationship so that they can be more successful as well. So this next question is kind of related uh, what's normal in terms of physical appearance of genitals? And I wonder, Kelly, you you actually get to look at more genitals than I do. In my work as a sex therapist, I don't actually look at people's genitals, but we talk about them. But I have a feeling you have a lot to say about what is what is what's normal. normal. <laughs> so um, I, I always say they're like snowflakes. You know, you can you can tell there's a snowflake's a snowflake, but they all are uniquely built. Um, so we all just like fingerprints, right? And I think I, when you think about fingerprints, I like that because, you know, I don't go around saying like, oh, I wish I had Tracy's fingerprints of like, that's ridiculous to want somebody else's fingerprints, right? So why do we go around saying we wish our vulva looked like it did, it does on porn or, you know, you wish your penis size was bigger or anything, any sort of thing like that is like, why are you wishing for some, you know, something that's somebody else's when you were born with, with what you're born with and, and most of the time it's completely normal. So I, I probably look at like 10 to 15 vulvas a day in my day job. And I love telling women that they're in the middle of the bell curve. You know, they'll come in and they'll see either, either they think they're abnormal looking or they've had a partner who's told them that they aren't normal looking. And then I'll do an exam and I'll say, you know, I've looked at this many vulvas this week and you're right in the middle of the bell curve. And it's so reassuring for people to know that they have normal anatomy. And sometimes I'm just kind of the normal anatomy doctor and like telling people that, that it's within normal limits. Certainly it's possible to have abnormalities, but if nothing's hurting you uh, and you know, you're able to perform all your bodily functions fine, you probably are within that bell curve of normal. Um, how about basic genital care? There's a question about that. Yes. Um, so you don't need to do much. Um, there is an entire industry called Big Natural <laughs> um, that is selling products and the vagina and the vulva are kind of the new, the new niche market that hasn't been explored yet. So I'm starting to see it and you're going to start to see more and more products come out for the vulva and the vagina. Um, which is ridiculous. It's marketing. They want to. They want you to spend your money based upon your insecurities about going back to the previous question. Um, the vagina is self-cleaning, and even just squirting water in the vagina can disrupt the normal uh, normal flora. Just like we have bugs on our skin, and we have bugs in our mouth, and we have bugs 
you know, in our poop, we have bugs in our vagina, and most of that we have bugs in our gut, in our stomach, in our intestine, and we have bugs in our vagina, and the bugs in the vagina help prevent urinary tract infections, help prevent yeast infections, um, and keep our skin healthy and moist, and even just of doing a water douche in the vagina can disrupt that and cause a bacterial imbalance. So really, if you just get in the shower and let soapy water kind of wash over you, uh, that's good enough. You don't need to do any scrubbing down there, certainly nothing in the vagina. Um, our bodies are were built for eons to be natural, and, and any product that we put in there kind of as maintenance is probably just disrupting natural, normal flora. Mm-hmm. I know, so we both have young kids too, right? And I know my daughter. So sometimes people think that the vagina and the vulva are like the same thing. And and so saying like, don't ever put anything in the vagina, kind of people interpret that as like, oh, that's, that's the whole area. And um, I know there's times when my daughter will be complaining a bit about things feeling a little itchy or a little stingy and... Um, and turns out she, you know, needs to take a shower and and kind of wash in between those folds of skin uh, where there can be some, you know, buildup of of uh, dead skin cells and um, stuff that can contribute to some irritation eventually if it's not uh, kind of rinsed out. Um, are there things like that where you find people have some kind of mis misinformation or um, not? not enough information about kind of their actual genital anatomy and what we're talking about with the parts. Sure. Oh yeah. I mean, I think, I think in, you know, the sex ed certainly that we got when we were younger, the vulva is completely neglected. So it's just, everything was called the vagina mm-hmm. in women. And so the vulva includes the labia, the external part uh, or the outer part of the vagina and the urethra. Um, and for the most part, you don't have to buy any products to maintain that. Now that said, Post-menopause, we see a drastic plunge to zero on estrogen, and so the vulva can become very dry and very irritated, again, because menopause disrupts the normal flora that was there. Um, so post-menopause, perimenopausal women can have more UTIs, they can have more yeast infections because their natural flora has gone awry or gone missing. Um, so estrogen products, and those are prescriptions in this country, can be used to help maintain a healthy, healthy skin. Right. And how about for people with penises? There's a question here. What are the, the pros and cons of circumcision? Sure. Um, so that's a really big question. Um, in short, circumcision is usually either a cultural uh, construct or a religious construct. Uh, men are born with skin covering the glands or the tip of the penis. It is thought to be there because of it's protecting the glands and the, and the urethral meatus where the urine comes out. Um, certainly in our country, the majority of men were circumcised up until this century, or sorry, this decade, and it's becoming less and less. Certainly as insurance has decided that it's non-medically necessary, they're not covering it as much, so we're seeing a major change in circumcision practices in the United States. But there are many, many countries where circumcision is not done at all. The majority of men have foreskin. Um, okay, so... Uh, oh, are there things about cleaning if someone isn't circumcised? Because that's when I've learned about and um, heard people talk about the pros and cons that, you know, some of the pros of being circumcised is that it's easier to keep the, the penis clean 
uh, with less folds of skin. Um, and that seems like kind of the main, yeah, <laughs> the main pro, right? But so for people with a circuit with a foreskin, how do you clean it? How do you clean it? So you can pull the foreskin back and and just wash the the tip of the penis or let water in the shower run over it, and then pull put the foreskin back down again. Um, what you can see if that foreskin is a little bit scarred or it's a little tight is you can get just dead skin cells. Like we lose dead skin cells anywhere where we have skin. You can get dead skin cells that trap under there. Very rarely you can get an infection in that. Um, or certainly if, if the, if the foreskin itself is, it's too tight and it doesn't retract, that'd be a reason to see a urologist to talk about goals and optimizing the foreskin. But the majority of Penises with foreskin don't have any issues retracting it, washing it gently in the shower, and then putting the foreskin back down. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, there is another question here. So on the subject of penises, what are some of the most common problems you see people with penises for? Well, it's pretty rare that we see, I'm just thinking, you know, we are just talking about skin, but pretty rare that you see a, a, a penis skin infection. Um, except for the very rare foreskin issues. The biggest, uh, the most common thing that a man goes to the doctor about in regards to his penis is trouble with erections. And this can happen for many reasons, um, to have trouble with erections. So it is a good thing to see a, a doctor for because you can get evaluated for all the medical uh, reasons that you have trouble with erections. So erections are just blood flow, right? It's just a huge blood flow response to sexual stimulation. And then you have to trap that blood in the penis to keep it erect for sexual activity. So if a man has trouble with blood flow, one of the things we think of is his blood flow in general or cardiac disease. If you have, uh, so certainly smoking can cause huge issues with erections because smoking causes damage to blood vessels. Just like it causes issues with your heart and cardiac disease, it causes issues with erections in the penis. So I always say if, if cigarette companies had to put these cigarettes might cause erectile dysfunction on their boxes, people would smoke a heck of a lot less. Um, so that's the most common thing would be erection. Um, and a less common thing, but still things guys come to doctors for is premature ejaculation. And the, you know, if you like going to another question, how long can, how long should a man last, right, sexually? So they've done studies, and uh, penis in a vagina, on average, takes about four minutes for the man to climax. And in porn, specifically, men you'll see men last for much, much, much longer. So guys, normal guys will come in thinking they have premature ejaculation issues, but it's because their expectations of reality are different than actual reality and physiology. Mm -hmm. So what, what I'm saying is a lot of premature ejaculation isn't technically premature ejaculation, it's just their goals not matching with something that they're seeing uh, on, on media. Mm -hmm. Well, and even how we define, like, what is premature? Like, too early for who or, or for what? Um, and in my practice as a sex therapist, uh, the common problems that I see uh, people with penises for, um, sometimes it is erection problems. And, you know, my, my work is on the kind of, the individual issues that might have to do with um, self-esteem, managing anxiety about sex when they have kind of performance anxiety and, and a lot of stress related to their worry about what their penis is going to do when the time comes to have sex. And, um, and so a, a lot of my focus begins with helping to make the erection itself, not the focus, because actually, you know, when we think about 
sex uh, and as an in- interaction and um, part of a relationship. Uh, in erection, I think it's kind of too much focus and too much credit for the the whole experience. And so kind of taking some of the pressure off also, you know, guys experience a lot of pressure and put a lot of pressure themselves on what their penis does. And in, in reality, it's not, um, it's not the most important thing. And, uh, and actually when it is the focus, people tend to miss out on a lot of other forms of experiencing and sharing sexual pleasure. So, um, I would say, you know, the other most common problem that I see people with penises for is um, having a partner who doesn't want to have sex. And and the the approach is really similar, helping them to see, well, uh, what what kinds of sex or ways of being physically intimate and sharing pleasure might be more wanted than some of the other activities that have become sort of the default ways of having sex. And often it's kind of a pattern of penis and vagina sex is sex. And that's what we do every time. And that turns out not to actually be the most um, pleasurable orgasm producing form of sexual activity for someone with a vagina and clitoris. So it's a similar kind of with all of these problems with penises, it's helping penises and the people who have them uh, think a little more expansively about uh, what sex can be um, and putting pleasure and sharing pleasure kind of at the center versus focusing on orgasm, uh, erection, ejaculation, orgasm for the penis. What do you do when, so in my practice, a lot of guys come in and either it's a, let's say it's a cancer diagnosis or it's something that's kind of devastatingly the penis doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And they've never once heard in their life, number one, that the penis isn't the star of the show, Mm -hmm. or that number two, there are other ways of being intimate with their partner. Um, You know, and we're never going to be in the bedroom with these people. Mm -hmm. So my, my question for you is, how do you start getting them curious or exploring of like, everything I thought I knew doesn't exist anymore Mm -hmm. and I'm stuck. Mm -hmm. How do you move them forward with Mm -hmm. either resources or a conversation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I have had some clients facing, you know, that, that exact uh, scenario. And, um, you know, it's, it's not just something that, that an individual makes up, right. This feeling that, uh, oh, it's uh, my penis is so important and, and erections are so important. Like that's kind of the whole, the story that has been told about sex for eons. And so there is, there's a lot to unpack and there's a lot of, um, you know, there's some grief, right? Uh, because I would say I don't have a penis myself, but, um, from what it sounds like, uh, it, it is really wonderful to have an erection and to, uh, experience orgasm through vaginal intercourse or other forms of stimulation on a penis. And um, those things are really wonderful. And so to to lose some of that ability is a big loss and um, something that really deserves uh, to grieve and acknowledge that that is significant. And it also uh, doesn't need to be the end of someone's sex life with their partner so to, to start thinking about, well, what other, what other things provide pleasure? If we, if we stop focusing just on um, 
erections and genitals, and we just think about pleasure and pleasure in the body and sharing pleasure, then, um, you know, for, for a lot of people that opens up more possibilities and just educating, like, I feel like people in general know more about penises than they know about clitorises by far. So some basic, I do a lot of education just about, um, the genital anatomy of people with clitorises and vaginas and what we know is more likely to provide pleasure and how to explore that. And, um, you know, we talk about, uh, talk about things that people can do with their hands, with their mouths, with toys and vibrators and lube and, uh, just really providing some basic education about what are some of the other ways to, experience pleasure there, but also to just remember that I I think our body has so much capacity for pleasure and um, to not limit our thinking about how we might experience that and share that with a partner just to the parts that are between our legs. Beautiful. Um, And then this, I mean, classic, this is just, uh, I think, such a common question that speaks to what we're just talking about. How can you last longer during sex, especially for a guy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it goes back to, you know, expectation. I was, it's always like to say the expectation reality mismatch. So if you are watching media portraying men lasting for an hour, um, and then your experience is five minutes, um, you know, your reality is actually matches what normal physiology is. You're just watching a, you know, edited performance drug enhanced movie. Um, so I think that's the first thing to look at is what are your goals um, versus, you know, in the am I truly broken or am I just having unrealistic expectations of my body, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I'd say that's, that'd be my first start on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then again, thinking like last longer for who and for why, um, I hear from couples who, uh, say, you know, the, the male partner says when we have sex, uh, I feel like she just wants to get it over with. She doesn't want it to last any longer. And, and sometimes that's true, and and not always for, um, for reasons that you know we want to kind of stick with and and have that just be the way that it goes. But I think it does speak to these assumptions that oh, it it should last a certain amount of time, and that's better for everyone. It isn't necessarily better for everyone, and the idea that um, sex is over, Sex lasts as long as a penis takes to have an orgasm, and once ejaculation happens, sex is over. Uh, that's also a really limited way of thinking about that experience that is probably going to really leave uh, the other partner's pleasure out of the equation. So kind of um, I would want to interrogate that question a little more um, and, and just suggest also that uh, it may not matter as much as knowing how to make sure that both people feel satisfied and that that can happen in lots of different ways. Yeah, I think, I mean, there are, so there is a medical condition called premature ejaculation and there is an actual definition. I think it's uh, penis and vagina intercourse lasting less than, it's either a minute or it's a minute 30. I haven't looked it up in a while. 
So there is a there is a technical definition to that, and the reason that they put an actual time limit on it is that that's how researchers can research things and treatments, mm-hmm. is if you actually put a time limit on it. Um, so there's no FDA-approved medication for premature ejaculation, but what doctors do use is they use um, antidepressants, because what the side effect of antidepressants are is an anorgasmia or an ejaculation, so difficulty in achieving orgasm or ejaculation or finishing. And so they use those medications to get the side effect of that for people who believe that they have uh, too short of a time to ejaculate. Mm-hmm. So if that was you, um, you can see see a medical provider to have that discussion. Mm-hmm. Nice. And another message, uh, so I work at the university also and do some sexual health promotion and education. And one of the things that we talk about in terms of promoting condom use, because for Many people, the risk of sexually transmitted infections is something to be considered during their sexual interactions. And um, one of the benefits uh, that people can experience from using condoms besides protecting them from infections is that that can reduce some of the, some of the sensation during intercourse uh, or other forms of penetrative sex uh, that can prolong uh, ejaculation and make that experience last longer. So I think that can be considered a benefit to using condoms. Mm -hmm. And and another thing that people use that you don't need a prescription for is uh, just a lidocaine jelly. There are actually some products on the market that basically they work by decreasing sensation. So the theory being, if you have less sensation, you're going to last longer. Um, So those are products that you're going to see. But I think going back to Tracy's first comment of like, what's actually your goal uh, in trying to last longer, and is that is your goal accurate? Um, I'd say do that before you go put numbing medication on your genitals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, great. And just make sex last as long as it takes for both people to be satisfied and be willing to and creative to do whatever uh, is required.